0: WCNC Charlotte, this is Flashpoint where power and politics collide and the tough questions get asked and answered. Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson, a new face to politics, getting ready to enter North Carolina's General Assembly. Democrat Jordan Lopez set to become North Carolina's youngest legislator at just 25. Lopez running unopposed this year to represent the east side of Charlotte and the new district 112 as some constituents ready for change. Joining us now is Jordan Lopez. He's running for uh, to represent Charlotte in the General Assembly. So, Mr. Lopez, thanks for coming on Flashpoint for your first appearance. We appreciate it.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate you, appreciate being here.
0: Now, usually state legislative races don't get much attention, at least not in the primaries, but y- your race is different. For one, you're running unopposed in the primary and in the general election. That doesn't often happen. So if all goes as planned, you will be the youngest state legislator Uh, up at Raleigh. So why are you running now?
1: Uh, Thank you for the question. And uh, that's really for a variety of reasons. Um, uh, the first one is the opportunity in and of itself. I didn't have running for office in 2024 on my bingo card, but uh, when the legislature redrew our maps again, uh, there was a new district created in East Charlotte, uh, East Mecklenburg County, and I had gotten a few calls encouraging me to run, asking if I was interested in running. And initially the answer was no. But admittedly, you start to think about it differently when you have people from your community really encouraging you and, and telling you, you should take this, this leap. Um, I also wanted to take it as an opportunity to inspire other young people to run. Uh, there aren't, as, as you mentioned, I'll be the youngest uh, legislator in Raleigh uh, if everything goes well in about a year from now. And that shouldn't be the case. There should be more young folk in Raleigh because young folk are, are our school teachers. Young folk are, are becoming our lawyers, are becoming our doctors, are becoming our nurses, and they should all. Have a say and people from our generation should have a say in the policies that govern how we're able to build our lives and also how we're able to build our communities and how the rest of our state looks so um wanted to take that as an opportunity to hopefully be a be an inspiration to other uh, young folks and when they see that you know one is in let's keep them coming
0: so are, were you surprised that you were running unopposed, or was that part of the appeal for you
1: <laughs> no that was a surprise so I mean, I wasn't aware of anybody else um, that was going to run as I was kind of prepping and, and, and reaching out to the different folks around the community to get their support. I hadn't heard any any other names being floated out there, but at the same time, in the back of my mind, wanted to be prepared and ultimately expected somebody else to run, but that didn't happen when filing closed and it was like, wait a minute, this, it kind of got real there for a second. Um, let
0: me be a skeptic for a second. What some folks could argue <laughs> is that what younger candidates possess with enthusiasm they lack in savvy and experience when it comes to legislating. So do, do you think that you can be more effective than, say, other Democrats in passing legislation, knowing that you're going to have to work with Republicans?
1: I That's a great question or a great point to make. Uh, and I have experience at the legislature. I served two years there as a legislative assistant, and I get it. The legislative assistant role may not sound super fancy, but L.A.'s do a lot of the, the groundwork at the legislature. And I mean, those offices are mostly one or staffed by one person. Uh, it's you and your members. So uh, when I was there, I got a lot of hands on experience uh, watching my members successfully work with Republicans on a variety of issues. So I know that there are ways to be effective. And I do look forward to trying to work with Republicans to actually pass policies that will benefit uh, not only the lives of e Charlatans, but people across the state. So I, I'm I'm very aware of, of, of people who think like that about younger candidates, but at the same time, uh, we've got to get in there. And we've got to learn too. Uh, and I'm not above that. I know that there is going to be a learning curve, uh, but that's why I have other members of the House Democratic Caucus, for example, that I can reach out to and, and ask for their assistance, their insight into how to to go about working with others. other side.
0: You'll be represented in an area that you actually grew up in. Um, in your view, what's gone unnoticed over those 25 years?
1: Oh man, what hasn't? Uh, it seems like well, Eastland Mall was a very big thing, and I'm not going to get too into the weeds about it because that's not so much a state uh, level issue, but I think it speaks to a larger issue of economic development in East Charlotte. Um, I can speak to transportation issues in East Charlotte. I mean, this is a, a more or less low income part of the city, and people don't have access to cars in every case. Uh, so, working on expanding our our or making it easier for the city, I guess I'll say uh, to to Address transportation issues along Albemarle Road, which is a state-maintained road. I would love to be a partner uh, or a liaison, even between the state and between the city, and how we can make that more effective for people to get around via bus, via bike, um, or whatever their case may be. Uh, staying on transportation. If you look at far East Charlotte, it's it's impossible to walk. It's extremely dangerous to bike. Uh, East Charlotte has a pretty high uh, instance rate instance rate of like pedestrian fatalities or accidents. So, wanting to take a take a take a good look at how we can address that from a state level affordable housing is a concern and, um, um, excuse me, Uh, affordable housing is a concern as well as public education. Um, We have a young community, uh, many families with children in school. So making sure that they're getting a quality education is going to be a priority of mine. I'm a proud product of Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools. uh, So wanting to make sure that we're putting in the time and the effort to ensure that the next generation of students is getting the same quality of education that I got and and can end up in places like this.
0: Sure as you know, your run is part of a, a big wave of young democratic leaders running for office, including the state chairwoman Anderson Clayton. What do you see is is what is spurring this movement?
1: I think a sense of urgency. um, young folk have grown tired of like the 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 just waiting for things to get better, and especially now that some of us, more of us are becoming able to run for office, becoming of age to to take these types of steps. We want to see things happen. Um, and we get it, our, our our government is designed to be a bit slow uh, and it's not bad in every case, but at the same time, there are issues that have been punted for years. Uh, there are issues that a majority of, of North Carolinians support that keep getting punted. Uh, Medicaid expansion just happened last year, but that's something that could have taken place almost a decade ago, if not a decade ago. And a majority of North Carolinians have supported that for quite some time. So it's a matter of of showing people that government can work you just have to have leaders in office that are willing to to put up the fight, willing to put in the effort and to see things through
0: A, a good part of this newly drawn district was part of Trisha Cotham's district who switched to the Republican Party um, a year ago um, as a person of East Charlotte, a resident of East Charlotte, um, a person who grew up in East Charlotte, did you feel betrayed by that action?
1: Yes I did I, uh, I was not a or am not was not a constituent of uh, representative Cotham but I, our district is right next door, and admittedly, was very uh, frustrated that that she switched parties at the beginning of last year, um, just just after, just months after taking uh, office, after being elected as a Democrat. That that is a gut a gut punch. Um, it makes you you question elected officials. And I do have slithers slivers of uh, of Mint Hill within the district, and I was telling somebody before it's it's going to be important to really get out there and to earn their trust back because imagine you voted for a candidate who ran on one thing months later they're switching parties and then you know weeks after that they're they're the vote that decides uh the fate of abortion in north carolina or they're the vote that uh decides the fate of of unaccountable school vouchers that are going to divert money away from our public school system so that that that's a real issue and um of of course i was uh, definitely frustrated by it i know other voters were frustrated by it so now the work begins to begin repairing that trust
0: All right, Jordan Lopez running to represent East Charlotte in the General Assembly. Great to see um, some younger folks uh, run for office, whether it's at the state level, local level. um, It brings more people to the table, and and that's only a good thing, no matter what you believe politically. All right, Mr. Lopez, thanks for coming on Flashpoint. We appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me. You have a good one.
0: Up next on Flashpoint, a Charlotte-based nonprofit pushing for big and environmentally friendly changes to the city in 2024. Welcome back to Flashpoint, a Charlotte nonprofit working to promote sustainability and smart growth in the new year. Sustain Charlotte is a familiar vo- voice here on Flashpoint, and now they're looking to push their priorities in the new year. Joining us now is Eric Zavirl. He's an d- urban design specialist with Sustain Charlotte. Thanks for coming on, we appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, man. All right, so you guys came out with this list of sort of eight priorities that you'd like to see uh, come to fruition this year. In, in your mind, um, what do you see as the biggest priority? Oh, that's a, that's a tough one. They're all interconnected sure. and all important. So
2: if you forget one or two, then, you know, it doesn't complete the full picture, right? Yeah. And you're leaving something out. So, um, you know, I think the themes, if we want to connect sure. those of being connected, uh, a network, and this applies to our bike lanes, our greenways, and our transit system, right? Yeah. And
0: being complete, which they're lacking right now. Uh, and, and- some of the people who might wonder why are we lacking in those areas? Yeah well we uh, spent many decades
2: uh, focusing mainly on automobiles and cars yeah. right and that that infrastructure so we, it, uh, unfortunately it's not going to be fixed overnight either it's going to take some period of time but we really have to start taking it seriously and uh, investing appropriately uh, big challenges require a big change.
0: And that's what, uh, you know, we've been focusing on and continue to focus on 2024. Yeah. You talk about challenges. I know so much of what you all focus on is transit and getting people moving outside of the cars, uh, you know, and, and it last year was quite the year for, for cats. Um, it was, it was plagued by pro- problems, various dis- different problems. And already in this new year, we've seen some problems in, in the last week of about half the cars being pulled off the track for the blue line. Uh, how detrimental is that to, what is your mission here? Well, I won't lie. Every time we see something like that in, uh, in the news
2: or an yeah. article, it, uh, yeah, it definitely makes us, um, you know, say, well, it makes our job a little bit tougher, sure. a little sure. bit harder. Because uh, a lot of what we do is working with the public and getting them educated and, and informing them of how all these things are important and connected. And when we lack it, we don't have an example of it and people don't experience it, it's really hard for them to see what life can be like in Charlotte if we had a fully functioning transit network that was reliable, that was frequent, um, and equivalent to what they experience today by being in the car. Uh, it's it's about choices, too, sure. and we lack those choices right now when we only have one mode of
0: transportation we rarely could use. Uh, one thing you all talk about, I know it's one of your priorities in the new year, um, and it's probably not something we talk about enough in the news media, and that is Uh, banishing parking minimums. And for folks at home, that's basically uh, developments across the city are are mandated to have a certain amount of parking. And when you first hear that, you think that makes sense. Okay, that's, but you guys say, no, no, no. It's actually not a good thing. Explain. Right, well, uh, first off, and
2: this is related to like when we introduced, uh, the city introduced triplexes and duplexes. It doesn't mean that single family homes go away. The same thing with this, doesn't mean parking goes away, but right now we're mandating that everything that gets built has to have a certain amount of parking spaces and a lot of that's arbitrary. They just come up with different metrics that really don't pertain to reality of how many spots you need. So that means everything that gets built has to spend uh a lot more money more infrastructure more space because parking garages are expensive yes and that increases the cost of everything living uh every time you buy a coffee or a grocery and that developer and that person who's leasing that space has to pay more for that yeah. that space right or rent if you're paying rent, rent you're yep. paying more rent you're paying more rent yes yeah. for that parking and it prevents certain buildings from being built and certain things in that building from happening. If it's a restaurant, restaurants have to meet a certain requirement of a, a space, even if they're in a walkable neighborhood where a lot of their folks don't drive, they walk
0: there from their house, yeah. they're required to have these spaces. And, and it's also an issue in that the developer still make a huge parking lot if they so choose it just would not be mandated to them that and is so correct. you don't end up with, with a city full of parking garages that are half empty exactly or big have. surface lots
2: that yeah. are only maybe you know like the mall at south park they don't really fill all those spots up you know even sure. on you know by the biggest Friday. days yeah. yes yes so it's it, it's just a waste of space really when it comes down to in an extra cost that we all
0: have to bear so let's be realistic what things do you think you can actually get done this year? Well, you know, it is, and uh, my background's planning,
2: you know, you always have to be patient, Yeah, and you always have to look at the long view, the, the not the short term. And I know in society today, everybody wants everything to Fast. happen immediately, yeah, totally. right? We have our phones and yep. everything needs to happen quickly. Um, we have to be patient. We look at this as uh, the greater good, the big picture, and moving forward, chipping away at things. Um, so if, you know, making progress on parking minimum, removing parking minimums occur in certain districts, especially TOD or our neighborhood centers, Transit or, or yeah. you know, those areas, then that that's a step in the right direction. Uh, it's not everywhere uh, perhaps, but we made some progress. That's, we're realistic in, in terms of that what we can get done in one year, but uh, you never know. Sometimes things move quickly and you know, like Raleigh-Durham uh, there's a dozen over city, cities across the country last year uh,
0: got rid of parking minimums. All right. So, could be lucky. Could be lucky, all right. Eric Zavro was sustained Charlotte. All right, Eric, thanks for coming on, we appreciate it. Up next on Flashpoint, an update to a story we've followed for years. Next, the lawsuit filed against the city of Charlotte this week, challenging a deadly police pursuit. Welcome back to Flashpoint, a major update now to a story we've been following for two years after a police pursuit turned deadly. The family of an innocent woman killed in the chase, now suing the city of Charlotte, just days before the two year anniversary of her death. WCNC Trust Nate Morabito has more on the latest development. That's right, this lawsuit accuses them all of negligence and wrongful
3: death thanks to body camera footage attorneys have since reviewed. The lawsuit lays out new information about the moments before, during and after the pursuit, including a new allegation that the officers ignored their supervisor's order to stop pursuing the driver. What started as a happy drive to the hospital to visit Aaron Norwood's newborn daughter. I was excited. Ended with him in a coma. They had
1: an upright on me for five hours straight.
3: And his best friend on life support.
1: And she had two beautiful children too.
3: Brittany Webb later died from her injuries.
0: It's important for people to know what happened to her.
3: Norwood survived. Can you roll but will never be the same
1: disregard for people I've said
3: In the days following this preventable crash, the survivors, their families. I just told my daughter from my heart, I'm gonna fight for you. And their attorneys. It makes me feel terrible. I mean, it's difficult to sit here with them. Pledged action. I see multiple parties that need to be held accountable. They now hope this newly filed lawsuit delivers that accountability. We still got one at least on responses the other male is not doing so well either. Tell them to find the gas pedal. As W. C. N. C. Charlotte previously reported, C. M. P. D. suspended two officers in the weeks after the January 3, 2022 crash on Statesville Road. 75 miles an hour, wrong side of travel, wrong way. The lawsuit accuses the officers of attempting to stop a Jeep for a minor infraction and later disobeying a supervisor's orders to discontinue the subsequent pursuit. Beyond that, the lawsuit alleges police had the chance to de-escalate the. Situation situation prior to the crash, when the driver slowed and stopped, but instead an officer opened his door and aggressively pointed his gun at the driver's side window. According to the lawsuit, both officers drew their guns again a short time later, which scared the driver and prompted him to speed away as officers did the same. CMPD's policy only allows pursuits when there's a reasonable suspicion that people's lives are in danger. Court records and scanner traffic show police tried to stop the driver in this case, Brian Gabriel Franklin Jr., for driving with a covered but still visible license plate. CMPD previously refused to answer specific questions about the crash, but told us generally when officers violate policy, they are disciplined. We're all human beings. Uh, It would be unrealistic to think that in these high-stress situations that the right decision is always made. The public expects you all to make the right decision every time.
4: They do, they do. This is a difficult job. Webb's
3: attorney told us the attorneys provided Mayor Vilile's office and the city attorney's office with a draft of this complaint earlier this month and invited them to meet and discuss, but quote, never received any contact from the city. We reached out to the city for comment within the last few hours. We also have yet to hear back.
0: More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. Growth in Charlotte means a lot of changes and a lot of construction. City leaders considering several rezoning requests this week that could change the Queen City as we know it. WCNC Charlotte's Julia Kaufman explains how.
4: We know the airport is expanding massively inside but it's also working to transform property outside the facility. Monday night the city council has rezone nearly 40 acres of vacant property near the airport to allow for intense commercial development. The land is at the airport's main entrance on Wilkinson Boulevard. City planners say it's a logical place for an intense mix of uses supporting the airport and it'll account for the future silver line. There are little details available about the airport's vision for the property. Also at the City Council rezoning meeting, leaders approved hundreds of apartments in Still Creek on Choate Circle. The petition previously called for four-story apartment buildings, but the developer agreed to downsize that to three stories. It'll also add a traffic circle to help mitigate backup concerns. Now, lastly, a public hearing was held on adding Wells Fargo signage and improving lighting on the former Duke Energy building.
0: The band of the building will accommodate uh, the, the lettering that will be proposed on this building, unlike the Truist building where there was an appendage that had to be made. This will be architecturally consistent with the, the building and
4: the mm-hmm. style. a couple of viewers texted WCNC Charlotte, saying they don't want changes to the signature Charlotte skyscraper, saying the money could be better spent on employees and customer experience. Similar sentiments were shared in 2020 when Truist put its logo on the Hearst Tower. The decision is ultimately up to city leaders who could vote on the changes at its next zoning meeting in February. Back to you guys.
0: All right, folks, come interact with me on social media, Instagram, X, Facebook. We're there. If there's something you want us to talk about on Flashpoint, let us know. We talk about everything. And as always, remember to listen and subscribe to our podcast. You can find it wherever you get yours. And we'll see you back here next weekend.